The 24 Shades of Blue Cold Case Edition series is about real ongoing homicide investigations. The following conversation may be disturbing to some people and is not recommended for all ages. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to 24 Shades of Blue Cold Case Edition. I'm your host, Andy O'Brien. On Monday, May 12, 1997, at approximately 9.04 a.m., police responded to a 911 call on Front Street East and Cherry Street. Police found the body of 21-year-old Lisa Anstey. Lisa leaves behind her daughter and a legacy that is remembered by those close to her. Hey, everybody. Sitting with me in studio today to discuss the case is Acting Detective Sergeant Steve Smith of Toronto Homicide Unit. How are you, Steve? Great, Andy. How about you? Good. Always great to have you here. Um, I want to get down to solving these murders. That's what Cold Case Edition is all about. Um, I want to start off with our victim today, uh, Lisa. What was she believed to be doing uh, the day of her murder? Lisa Anstey was 21 years old at the time of her murder. Um, she was a young Indigenous woman. She was living in Toronto. Uh, at the time, she was a sex trade worker. She worked in the northern part of 51 Division, which is up around Bleecker and uh, Wellesley area. In terms of the events that led um, to her body being discovered. Let's talk a little bit about that. People came to work 373 Front Street. And when they went out back, they saw a body laying in the rear parking lot of 393 Front Street, which at the time there was a lot of abandoned buildings um, south of Queen Street in the 51 Division area, which now is down in the south end is is all the distillery district. And and a lot of condos. Uh, it's it's a pretty hip area. But back at the time, there was a lot of abandoned buildings. And 393 Front Street was actually a, um, an abandoned building that had been taken over and made into a homeless encampment. So there were hundreds of people living inside that building at the time. At all times. At all times of the day and night, there was traffic in and out. Uh, there was people around constantly. What was found uh, at the scene of the crime? Anything noticeably missing from the scene? That you can recall? It appears to us that Lisa was killed in another location and then brought to that area and dumped outside there, whether it was so someone, they knew that there was high traffic in the area, whether someone would find her in hopes that maybe they hadn't killed her or maybe they knew she was dead and just wanted someone to find her body. But the interesting thing is that one of her shoes was missing. So we believe that whether she was killed inside a vehicle or just transported in a vehicle that the the shoe had fallen off as she was dragged out and, and dumped at that location. Let's take a look at uh, some of the pictures that we have and then we can discuss them a bit more in depth. We'll talk about the picture that we're looking at here, which is, I guess, the building that you're referring to uh, where she was found. You want to speak to this building a little bit? Yes, that's the rear area of 393 Front Street. So when you went around the front area, there was a, a big open door and it, you can't see the size of the building, but it's actually a very large building. And there was hundreds of people that had set up camp in there, set up uh, tents and and um, places to sleep, to, to stay out of the cold. And then this shot here gives us a bit of a different angle. Let's talk about what we're looking at here. Yeah, again, you're looking at the rear of the uh, location. You can see how it starts to wrap around in an L shape. Uh, that's the back parking lot there where obviously nobody had parked. But I mean, this was an abandoned location. Like there wasn't a whole lot of traffic as far as people coming to work in that area. This was more of the transient um, where people would come down. They'd live in the area. They'd, they'd set up 
shop. They'd set up a bed in the area. A lot of drugs, a lot of prostitution, uh, a lot of people going in and out, a lot of people coming for certain things, leaving for certain things, going there for specific reasons. I've done enough of these uh, murders with you and uh, the team there to learn that where there's drugs and prostitution, there's a lot of crime. And there's a lot of violent crime that uh, that I've noticed uh, obviously takes place. And this is, we have another aerial shot here, I believe. And it shows really that this is really abandoned. And this would be kind of an area that would be pretty dark. Let's talk about this side, uh, this angle shot that we have. Yeah, as you can see here in uh, 1997, there wasn't a whole lot of lighting in that back area. Also because it's an abandoned building. I mean, people aren't going to pay for electricity to light an area around an abandoned building. If it's abandoned, it's abandoned. So there's no video cameras. There's no lighting. Uh, the area down there, like I said at the time, was a lot of abandoned buildings, a lot of open space. It wasn't like there was like it is now, where it's it's packed with condos and a vibrant area where people are attending. At this time in '97, people didn't go down in this area at night. There wasn't any point. There wasn't anything down there to draw you to that area. So if you were down there, you were down there for specifics. Whether you were looking to obtain drugs, you were looking to obtain sexual services. Or you were just looking to to find a place to lay your head for the night. But the people that were down there were down there for specific reasons. And it was a certain community that was down there. And this shirt um, hopefully can trigger somebody's mind to think back. This was our victim's uh, t-shirt that was recovered. Yeah. And if you can imagine, it says, take back the night. So this is in reference to sex trade workers. And at the time in 1997, it's not like it is now where the internet and and your phones and sexual services are in condos or apartments and you text someone and meet them in a certain place. The sex trade workers were actually having to be out on the street, which was a lot more dangerous because they couldn't vet their clientele. People could just drive up and say, come on, hop in the car. And they would have to decide right there in a split second whether this person was trustworthy or not. And as you know, with psychopaths, you you can't tell from their their outer demeanor. It could be anybody. No. And that's the that's I think what and also driven by maybe an addiction, driven by the money. Sometimes you don't you know put your best foot forward in decision making. You take chances depending on what sort of scenario you're in like do you need money at that point do you have enough money do you need your next fix do you um is there something that you need to spend money on that you need to go out and work and get this money and unfortunately with this shirt it's actually for sex trade workers to say that they're taking back the night they're going to fight back against violence against sex trade workers because as you know in the 80s and 90s there was a lot of violence against sex trade workers in toronto Let's bring attention to the uh, the sneakers here. So this was the one that was recovered and the other one is missing. What's our thoughts behind why it was taken? Was it just left there innocently? Was this taken as a trophy? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you could look at it as a number of ways. I mean, as we know, psychopaths do tend to take things as trophies. Or was this just that when they had killed her and decided to move her to this abandoned area and dump her body out, did they move her vehicle or did they move her body and leave the second sneaker in the vehicle? Uh, as you know, it's not easy to move a person's body, especially with dead weight and it's dark. You're trying to drag people out. You're trying to get rid of the evidence quickly before someone walks upon you. I mean, that area, there was a lot of foot traffic in that area all hours of the day and night. So, Which also presents you know, another question and uh, 
you know, this is strictly coming from me. I want to make this very clear, but it's almost like somebody wanted to, you know, to maybe make a point. Why would you, if somebody was in the North, why would someone drive all the way down to the South to a heavily policed area, heavily, um, you know, a heavy area where there's just a lot of people in general and transients behind there potentially using or who knows whatever's happening why would somebody go there you would have to think that the person would be familiar with the area so maybe they frequented prostitutes as a as a daily occurrence they may have frequented prostitutes down in the south end area around 393 front and maybe some of the girls had caught on to this guy's antics so he's they're like as soon as he would drive up, they're like, no, you keep going, right? So he may have thought, well, maybe I'll go to another area of the city. I'll pick up someone that doesn't know me, doesn't know my car, doesn't know what I'm about. And who knows what happened in there? I mean, who knows whether he set to kill a person or whether he set to um, make a transaction that didn't go right. And Lisa may have fought back and he may have set on her and strangled her to death. And this, you know, leads back to kind of what I was saying before, where this is strictly coming from, uh, from me here, but these, these types of actions, this type of behavior could be somebody that maybe isn't, uh, known as a serial killer, but definitely could potentially reoffend and be a serial killer. Has there, has your, you and the, and the homicide squad, obviously you guys have looked at this. What's your take on this person potentially being involved? Cause that, as we talked about before the show, eighties and nineties, there was a lot of murders. There was a lot of missing people. There was a lot of things going on that, that, um, and as we know with other serial killers, you know, their, their DNA is not in the database because they become very smart to these things. And sometimes they can kill for decades. What's your thoughts about this person fitting the profile of a serial killer? With every case we have, obviously, we strive to find offender DNA. And I mean, these, again, are close contact murders. We know that Lisa fought back against her killer. We do have the killer's DNA. So we've ran it through our national DNA database. We've ran it through the databases in the U.S. and the U.K. And we don't have any matches for that DNA. So this person obviously hasn't offended again, at least to the limit where his DNA would have been ordered onto our database. So to be able to say that, we cannot say that definitively because it it is not cross-referenced with any other cases as well. So in most of our vulnerable victims cases, we have been able to obtain offender DNA. Okay. And so we haven't been able to come across any cases where they've been linked that we can definitively say that there was a serial killer working in the area. But saying that we can't discount that without knowing who we're dealing with as a murderer. We, we need to know who murdered Lisa to be able to delve into this person's future or sorry, into his past the same way we did with Calvin Hoover in the Jessup case. That's a very interesting point too, because if somebody, let's say they did reoffend and his DNA was found on another victim, would that match or does it only matter if he was actually picked up for a crime? There's a couple different um, areas of our national DNA database. There's a convicted offender database where someone needs to be convicted, a judge needs to order them to provide their DNA and it's put up on our database. So if we have a crime scene DNA profile and they're put onto our convicted offender database, those would match up to say 
this offender committed this crime. Okay. What we also have is a crime scene database where any DNA um, seized from a crime scene is uploaded to this database and it runs through. And if there is any matches, it'll say um, crime A is matched up with homicide B, which is matched up with homicide C and sexual assault D. And it's the same person committing all these offenses. You know, when a lot of these individuals, and we see it, we're talking about BTK, we're talking about Green River and a, a ton more, they become very delicate in terms of what they're not leaving behind. So they become very, from what I've, what I know of them, and obviously what I've learned from you guys is these people are, are not stupid. A lot of them that are these are serial killers, or serial offenders of this of this nature. Anyone that sets out to actually go out and murder another person is probably a psychopath and probably high functioning. If you're going to go to the point of you're going to plan this murder and you're going to 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 enact this murder and actually take someone else's life in your hands and and kill them and dump them out on the street as if they're nothing. That takes a certain person to be able to do that. So these are the type of people that you would think would try to evade police involvement, which they would take precautions um, in order to do that. Luckily, in this case, there was obviously a fight. Lisa was able to fight back and we were able to get the offender's DNA. So hopefully we can bring this person into custody, charge him with the murder and give Lisa a little justice. And this person typically will probably be living a different life to what is underneath the real them, you know? So like, I, I would think that, you know, as we've talked in other cases, this person could be, you know, have a whole new life, a family, uh, living a completely different life, but somebody that did this, they're still evil there and they could be living a different life. What's your kind of thoughts on, you know, if we're talking to people out there and this individual has mentioned anything to them, what kind of risk does this person present that someone may be harboring? Whatever happened that night to be able to take someone else's life takes a certain individual. So this person, this may have scared this person. This person may have uh, couldn't believe that they actually took someone else's life and they may have moved on. They may have said, I need to make changes in my life. They have, may have made changes now. They may be, have a job. They may have a family. They could have at the time as well. You just don't know, right? You don't know what we're dealing with. Um, but this person could be living a life that doesn't resemble what happened here that night. And you have to worry that the police are coming to your door at some point. Uh, with, the, with all the changes in science, we have your DNA. We're going to find you. Whatever it takes us to do, whatever we have to do to give justice to these vulnerable victims, we will do. So eventually we're coming to your door and we're going to make an arrest and you're going to have to pay for your crime. So the best thing that you can do is reminisce about that night. Think about what you did. Come to us. Talk to us. Tell us what went down that night. Tell us what happened and how Lisa ended up deceased. And if anybody knows anything about this, which is very likely that somebody... Um, has shared this because that's a lot to keep on your chest. What do you think the chances are that this person has told one per person or multiple people about what uh, transpired that night? I can almost guarantee that. I mean, whether you're taking intoxicants, whether you're you know having a few drinks when your inhibitions start to lower, maybe you're having a bad day or a bad week or a bad month, and you're starting to feel down about yourself, and you're going over all the the 
horrible things you may have done in your past, this has to creep to the top. I mean, how someone can just go on with their life knowing that they took someone else's life, especially a young 21-year-old woman, and you just snuffed her life out and threw her in the back lot. I don't understand how anybody could live with that, especially on a daily basis. And also, too, I mean, you know, maybe they had found their person, their spouse. They would have to, you would think, potentially confide, you know, that that they had done this because it, it like we just said, you know, it's it's got to be a lot of weight on their chest. So they may have confided into somebody that that is either fearful or doesn't want that person to get in trouble. But you guys are coming for them. There will be a break in this case. We're talking about it today because this case is front and center. All of the cold cases are getting everybody's attention. We're using technology to bridge the gap to the community. There, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when this person gets caught. And we're speaking not only to the individual that did this, but to anybody that knows. If you think that, you know, your life's good and everything's okay, and yeah, he may have said he did this in his younger days and such, your life's going to be upended. The best thing that you can do is pick up that phone, call Crime Stoppers, call wherever, let us know who did this. We'll match it up with the DNA evidence and we'll help you out in getting this person into custody and facing the the trial that they need to, to face. But these people can't just go on living after they've taken someone else's life and living in our community like nothing happened. This is also could be a potentially dangerous situation for anybody connected to this person under the same roof. Nobody wants to bring that into their family situation. Nobody wants the police coming to their door and, and extracting someone in their family for a murder they committed 20, 25 years ago. Um, but these people, they've been living in our community, right? They've been living in our community for this long. Who knows what uh, what other things that they've done? And maybe once that person is arrested and brought to justice, other people may come forward and say that they've committed heinous acts against them. You just don't know what type of person you're dealing with in, in these cases. And Steve, one more interesting thing that I think we should definitely touch on here is there was over 300 individuals interviewed for this case how so many, where do they come from and what came from it? The original investigators, as with all our cold cases, did an excellent job at the time. They did everything that they could possibly do to solve this murder. They interviewed everybody. I mean, there were, as I said, hundreds of people that frequented Street City 393 front. They were all interviewed. Everybody that knew the deceased, everybody that spent time with the deceased, the deceased family, any her boyfriend, all her boyfriend's friends, um, anybody that would even come into the area looking to to obtain sexual services. Well, they were brought in for interviews because you know what? Maybe they were in the area that night. Maybe they are our person. They went over and above what you could even imagine doing. And they, as you said, they interviewed almost 400 people in this, uh, in this case, they did everything that they possibly could to solve it at the time. And just nothing came from it. Nobody nothing came to it. And we have received a number of tips in this case as well. We followed up on them. We've, we've obtained a number of DNA samples from males. Um, a number of people have provided DNA samples to us and, we still have no match for the DNA that we have. The last thing here that I think is important is let's give a uh, let's give you an opportunity to just speak to the public. What, what's something that you want the public to know? I mean, Lisa was a young girl. She was 21 years old. She may have been suffering from addiction um, and she may have had to go out and um, 
provide sexual services to feed her addiction. It doesn't mean that she needed to be strangled and ended up in in a rear parking lot of of 393 front. It's it's just not fair. Her life was just beginning. She had so much to offer to people and and this was just the beginning of her life and someone was willingly able to take her life from her and that's not right and people know who committed this crime and we need them to come forward and provide us a name. Thank you very much for being here Steve as always it's a pleasure. Thank you Andy. 